0: Uh, you know, we're right in the beginning of the year, so I have it on my heart to share with you a brand new series for this time called Construction of the Christian Mind. Construction of the Christian Mind. And so I wanted to mention that because I want you, I want you to stay tuned as I know that 2021 hangs upon the state of your mind, the state of your thoughts. Your ability to discipline them, to renew them, and to cause them to think scripturally. And so uh, we're going to talk about that, and I think that you're really going to love today, so please stay tuned. I do want to ask us all <clears throat> in, our, in our time um, during the week, time of prayer, to please uh, pray for some of our church members as we're going through this year, uh, through this flu season as usual, and also now COVID being involved. We know that... Um, people who are doing really well, but I know that Steve and Kristen have COVID, so (laughs) we're praying for them, and they're doing really well, just so you know, getting right through it really comfortably, and uh, they're reorganizing their kitchen. (laughs) Kristen said, neither of them have killed each other yet, so they're doing wonderful. This is great news uh, as they're sitting through COVID. We also want to pray for Bruce and Annette. Uh, they weren't feeling well, and also the Marshall family, they're on the tail end of of not feeling good. They're already starting to feel better, so God bless you uh, as we pray for them. We also want to pray for Roger, uh, Roger Dijon. Uh, we have been praying for him, and if you're watching, brother, we love you. We miss you, and I always feel so bad. You know, we have these, we had curbside communion, and we had parking lot services, and and Roger was there, one parking lot service, and he was in the car. But I didn't know it, so I missed him. And I, and I still kick myself for not knowing that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I haven't seen you forever, Roger. Looking forward to the time we can hug each other again without masks and so forth. And uh, so we're praying for him also, for good reports from the doctor. And I wanted to also mention that my father-in-law, Jim Spada, Tina's dad, had a stroke this week. And he's in the hospital right now, and uh, you know, we really believing the Lord for a miracle in his life and his body, and we thank the Lord that um, he's going to recover. He's going to recover. I said to Tina, it's the strangest thing. You know, a few times now we've had to call 911, and they came and picked him up for various reasons, but (laughs) you know, every time they test him, he's like, well they say, well, his blood blood pressure is perfect, you know, his blood sugar levels are great, he's, this is great, everything's great. Everything is just wonderful and we're like, well then what in the world's going on? <laughs> anyway, so uh, he's in the hospital and as you know, uh, they're not letting family in to visit. Anyhow, we prayed about it yesterday and mm-hmm. Tina has to really go and uh, do some, um, have some meetings with him and uh, praying with him, but you know they actually let Tina in yesterday for much longer than what they even allowed her to uh, be in on, on day one, and then also four for four hours. Yeah, I mean they were they initially said, okay, come in, and uh, be there for 30 minutes, do what you have to do, and then anyway they let her stay there for four hours. Can you believe that? Yeah, and um, you know he's a witty guy. You know when the. Um, <laughs> I've got to tell this though, I think, uh, just so you know, I mean, Jim is just a really, really nice man. Nicest man you'll ever meet. And so we, we called 911 and they came in one night. And uh, he, he, by the way, as frail as he is and he's aged, you know, he had COVID and he got through it really, really easy, he had a two day cold. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the, the paramedics are in there. And they, you know, they ask questions like, what year is it? You know, he's like, oh, it's 2001. Okay, where do you live? <laughs> and he's giving all these strange answers. They go, okay, wait, okay, where do you live? So he says, he says Crete. He goes, <laughs> who's the president? He goes, Trump. And then they say, they say okay, who's, uh, they go, like, where are you right now? He goes, give me a hint. <laughs> anyway, uh, we pray for him. So let's pray for everybody that needs prayer, right? There are quite a few of them. <laughs> Father, we just thank You for our church family, and I thank You, Father God, for Your healing power that flows through them. Thank You for Steve, for Kristen, for Bruce, for Nanette, for Andre, and for Vicky, and for the kids, for Jim, the stroke. We pray, Father God, that... Um, Roger DeJean will get a report that he has no cancer at all. He's cancer-free. We pray for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As we stand on the front end of a brand new year, uh, in light of the year we just had, we can have an anxiety attack right there and then (laughs) as to what could happen. But I have some really, really good news for you that as we look at the construction of the Christian mind, we will know uh, that we can live in the peace of God throughout the whole entire year because we are not under the circumstances, we're above the circumstances. Circumstances don't rule us. uh, Our King Jesus rules us, amen? And so your greatest possession is not your 401k, is not the gold or your Bitcoin. Your greatest greatest possession that you have in this life is what? Your mind. Now, I know we can debate this issue, but today I want you to view it from this perspective that whatever captures your mind captures your heart. Whatever captures your heart controls your life. And whatever captures your heart doesn't just determine this life, but it determines your eternal life. So whether it be your eternal life, or this life, or your heart, it all hangs on where your thoughts are at and what happens between your ears. Whatever controls your thoughts controls your life. Your feelings are formed by the thoughts you currently have, thoughts of hope, Or thoughts of fear. Thoughts of love and acceptance. Or thoughts of anxiety and rejection. They all determine your emotional state. Thoughts of bravery. Thoughts of cowardice. Determines how you feel. Whatever happens here happens everywhere else. People's bodies are at times crushed and sickly because of what happens here between your ears. Your mind is your greatest possession in this life. Our emotions, our beliefs, but on top of that, from beliefs comes convictions, and and from convictions comes our actions. You see, there's a difference between an opinion and a conviction. An opinion is something that you will debate all day long, but a conviction is what you will live for and is even what you will die for. And so whether it be our emotions that oftentimes turns into a belief, and our beliefs that eventually turns into a conviction that you will live for, die for, and what you act out, all of that hangs on what happens right here. You don't have a thought because you're anxious. You're anxious because of the thought that you have. If you're walking down a dark alley, downtown midnight, and your mind just starts imagining all the bad things that possibly could happen, suddenly, Anxiety strikes your nervous system. So you don't have anxiety because, well, let me say it this way. You don't have um, thoughts because you have anxiety. No, anxiety comes because of the thoughts you have. That means if you want to do, well, let me say it this way. Just like the idea precedes the invention, so... The mind, the thought life, precedes the actions that you have in your life. If you want to do the right things in your life, you have to first have the right thoughts. You have to have the right mindset. That's why I want to talk to you about the construction of the Christian mind. The construction of a renewed mind in the Christian's life. If you want to do what is right, you have to first start thinking the right way. And one of the most important things you and I can do as we stand at the front of this new year is learn how to guard our thoughts, how to cultivate our thinking processes, and how to renew the mind that we have. You see, the Word of God speaks to us with great clarity and persistence about our minds and our thought life. We are told in Scriptures to renew our minds, to have a mind stayed and fixed on Him, if anything is praiseworthy to think on those things, to take certain thoughts captive, to guard our hearts and minds, Amen. to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to set our minds on things above, to love God with all of our minds, to be sober-minded, to, go- to gird up the loins of your mind. The Bible says, Scriptures also warns us of a double mind, a blinded mind, a depraved mind, a debased mind, evil thoughts that come from an evil heart. So the Word of God makes a much bigger deal about our thoughts and our minds than what we think. And we have to be aware of this because ideas have consequences. Communism. Socialism. Darwinism. All all ideas have consequences. Capitalism. There are things that happen because of the thoughts people have in their minds. They play it out. They build because of it. So the question that I want to ask right now is, what does God have planned for your 2021? What is God's plan uh, for this next year? I know this, though, if you zoom out, I don't know about the very details of all things, but I know if you zoom out, we know, if we look at scriptures, that God hasn't necessarily called us to be successful. You'll find some of the most successful people, Larry King, on their sixth marriage. I mean, how is that successful, Larry King? It's not. You see, how is it successful if you gain the whole entire world, but then you lose your soul? We have to look at things from a sober scriptural perspective there's no other way to see things soberly than see, seeing things scripturally so what does God have planned for the 2021 for the year 2021 in your life well I can tell you this that he doesn't necessarily plan you to be he doesn't necessarily call you to be successful it doesn't mean you can't be successful It just that's not God's priority in life he calls you to be faithful to him to be found faithful but beyond just being faithful he also calls you to be fruitful in his kingdom You were made and you were saved, created in Christ Jesus unto good works for His glory. It's it's clear. Our purpose is simple. It's out there. It's on the the pages. All we have to do is read it and now actually believe it. We live for His glory alone. That's why we have not yet been killed and taken to heaven. He has a purpose for His kingdom and you're in it. So the year 2021... Is prescribed for you, you are called to be found faithful and to be found fruitful. However, we will neither be faithful nor fruitful if we go through this year with untrained, undisciplined, and unrenewed minds. As a matter of fact, having an untrained and an unrenewed mind guarantees a horrible 2021, even if. The stock market is a home run in 2021. Even if the news media becomes completely free, so you can say whatever you want, no matter. no matter how wonderful 2021 is, if you don't have peace, if you lose peace, you lose everything. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26 verse three, "You keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You see, the the person in perfect peace, kept by God in peace, that person is the person not who has favorable circumstances, but the one whose mind is fixed on God. That's the one who will find peace in 2021, no matter what happens. I don't care if 2021 is 2020 on steroids, <laughs> you will have peace if your mind is stayed and fixed on God and, the, and things of God. Because you and I know too many people who have favorable circumstances but no peace. So the bottom line is your 2021 experience hinges on what happens in your mind. If it's fixed on the things of God, peace will be yours, no matter the circumstances. So the multi-million dollar question today is, how do I cultivate the mind of a faithful and fruitful Christian? How do I cultivate this renewed mind, and how do I keep it, and how do I cause it to be disciplined? That is what the series is going to be about. And today, we are doing only part one in the entire series, so please, stay tuned And stick with it, because I believe that this is the game changer for your 2021. This is the hinge upon which 2021 swings. So the multi-million dollar question, how do I cultivate a mind of a faithful and fruitful Christian, is a few things. I'm going to share one with you today. And the first thing is, do not believe every thought you have. Do not believe every thought that comes across your mind. All that comes from the inside of you. <laughs> Don't believe everything you feel or think. Because we have this tendency to believe a subjective truth long before we tend to believe an objective truth. What is the subjective truth? The subjective truth is the truth that comes, that's subject to my opinion, my experiences, my thoughts, my feelings, and my tendencies. So let me say it this way. It's much easier to believe a feeling than what it is to believe a scripture. You tend to believe a subjective feeling long before you will embrace an objective fact or truth. It is much easier to believe a feeling than what it is to believe a fact that goes contrary to the feeling that you currently have. And this is the problem with society today, if you think about it. Everybody has their own truth, and their own truth was constructed by how they feel. People's truths are based upon their own personal feelings and their subjective experiences that they've had in life, etc. It's completely divorced from what Scripture says. It is completely subject to how they feel. So, my point is, it is easier for you and I to believe a feeling than what it is for us to believe a Scripture. But we have to turn that around in order to have a sound mind. We have to learn to believe a Scripture no matter how we feel. Now you're sane. The insane person is the one who rejects truth in order to embrace emotion. You cannot be led by your feelings and the Spirit of God at the same time because your feelings are for most part contrary to the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, what do you have to do? Deny self. If you want to follow me, you have to deny self. And now, I mean, how many people feel like turning the other cheek when somebody slaps them? No, you don't feel, you feel like slapping them back, right? Right? You see, you cannot be led by your emotion, your feeling, and the Scripture at the same time. So the moment you are led by your feelings, like, who wants to pray for their enemies? Oh, God bless that person who hates me. Who wants, who feels like, nobody feels like doing that. And again, you cannot follow a feeling and the presence of God at the same time. To follow the leading of the Holy Ghost for most part, is you having to deny self. So do not believe every thought you have. You should not believe every thought you have because of where those thoughts come from. Your mind, your thoughts, have grown inside of you because of the mainstream media that you've consumed because the people you tend to spend time with throughout your life relationships your thoughts that have grown in your life is because of the school possibly that you've graduated from the experiences that you've had in life the family that you were born in the the, the culture in which you grew up in all these things have fashioned and formed your mind your way of thinking your perspective and oftentimes your opinions You see, many of your thoughts were little seeds planted in you by the world. Other destructive thoughts that have been planted in your mind comes from your flesh. You see, the lusts of the flesh, the the desires of the flesh, the yearnings and the wants of the flesh turn into thoughts. Actually, oftentimes, thoughts become fuel on the fire of the lusts of the flesh. The more you think of something your flesh wants, the more your flesh wants it, right? And so, we find that the world has planted seeds of thoughts in your mind, so don't believe them. Don't believe every thought you have. The flesh has planted seeds of thoughts in your mind, so don't believe every thought you have. Finally, there, are, there is the demonic, the demonic. The Bible actually says that there are even doctrines of demons. In other words, there's a whole way of thinking designed by demons so that you can think about God in a specific way. That's not necessarily Scripture. So there's even the demonic realm that's constantly bringing thoughts to you that's contrary to the truth of God. And the only way to combat that is to go to Scriptures and say, oh, I thought this about God, but I see it's not true. The other thing is true about God. And so we have this whole idea that the world has flooded your mind, fashioned and formed it. Your flesh has flooded your mind, fashioned and formed it. The demonic has flooded your mind, fashioned and formed it. So don't believe everything you think. Stop believing your thoughts always. Another reason why you should not believe every thought you have is because every one of us suffer from a degree of mental illness. We do. (laughs) I said to somebody on Facebook the other day, because he was posting such crazy stuff, and I said to him, you know, if somebody had to ask you, Dave, it's not Dave Zidig, it's another Dave, actually. (coughs) He actually lives in in, in England. Uh, He used to be a pastor with me in South Africa. And uh, he might be watching. Hey, Dave, I love you, brother. (laughs) He's a very fun guy, though. But he's so British, um, so therefore he's not funny to most people in the world except for people like me. But uh, he's been posting so many, so many crazy thoughts. I said to him, Dave, if somebody had to ask you if you're suffering from, from, from insanity, your response would be, no, I'm not suffering from it, I'm actually quite enjoying it. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another reason why we should not believe every thought is because we all suffer from a degree of mental illness. And uh, when human race fell into sin, every part of who we are became radically corrupted in sin. When man fell into sin, not only did his spirit go blind, the eyes of his heart, yeah. his understanding went blind. And, and he, his emotions were just corrupted, and his will became crooked. And he suddenly started This The first thing that happened after men fell is that Cain killed Abel, his brother. Suddenly, murderous hatred started spilling over from this evil, fallen, corrupted heart. But everything about man became corrupted. Even his body, that's why we now die. That's why we now grow old and sickly. It's all because of sin. It's the curse. But another thing that was corrupted completely was our minds. You see, your spirit is you. God saves you. Your soul, your spirit has a soul, which is a will, mind, and emotions. Your spirit, therefore, you have emotions. You are not your emotions. You are your spirit, and you have emotions, and they have to be renewed. You were saved. Your soul has to be renewed. Your mind has to be renewed. And your body, all we can do is put makeup on, right? A little bit of Botox. That's all we can do with that. We can't fix it. It's just dying. It's growing older and it's winding down. But the mind has to be renewed. But you, your spirit, God saves you eternally. It's brand new and will live forever. But when you got saved, your mind wasn't immediately just clean and sanctified. No, it has to be consistently renewed. How do you renew it? The Word of God the ways of God. And that's why Wednesday nights are so important. Because we have to understand God and his ways, not just see what he does, but also understand why he does what he does. Understand his ways, that's wisdom. The one is knowledge. Oh, I have knowledge about I have knowledge about what God just did. But do you have wisdom? Why do you believe God did what he did? Can you see beyond just what you're looking at? So I want us to make that a news resolution. I know that um, it's going to be life-changing for those who Amen. take it serious. You see, we wouldn't have to have renewed our minds if our minds were not first corrupted by sin. That's why the Bible tells you to renew it. When you got saved by the grace of God, your mind wasn't immediately sanctified and rectified. So as a matter of fact, the Scripture outlines the fallen state of our minds. It speaks of men having deluded minds. Scripture speaks of men having depraved minds, sinful minds, dull minds, blinded minds, corrupt minds. Scripture clearly teaches that sin has broken our thoughts, our minds, and continuous sin, according to Romans chapter 1, will cause you to end up having a depraved mind, which is the mind that cannot distinguish between good and evil, and starts calling the things that are good evil, and the things that are evil good. That's a depraved mind. So I'm mentioning this entire list of mental defections to build a case against the idea of you trusting your thoughts. Don't believe every thought you have. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart and your mind's connected. But the heart is so sick, the mind can't even understand the heart. This verse is telling us that we have this intrinsic ability to lie to ourselves constantly and then to constantly love believing the lies we know we tell ourselves. Some people go in the mirror and they go like, you're beautiful. Really? Stop. You know, (laughs) I tried that the other day before I got my hair cut in the morning and and I thought, no, you're lying. You know, we love lying to ourselves and then believe those lies. I lie to myself, you lie to yourselves. And for you to say that you aren't is you lying to yourself even more. You see, we, we tell ourselves uh, that things are not bad when in fact they are. We tell, our thing, we tell ourselves that things are better than what they really are. We tell ourselves that we are doing just fine when in fact we're not. We tell ourselves that it is no big deal when really it is a big deal, like sin. We tell ourselves that things are a huge deal when in fact it's not. We're all deluded in that way. Why do you think people don't live for God? Because they're lying to themselves thinking that they can get away with that. Why do you think people are not generous towards God? Because they think they they don't have to be and they're going to get away with it. Why do you think people pretend like life is forever. And when they know it's not, but they love telling themselves that it is and living in the idea that it is. It's not. We love lying to ourselves and then believing it. But Satan is the father of all lies. And if he can't get you to believe a lie, well, let me say this. If he can get you to believe a lie, he can get you to sin. I can prove it to you out of the garden. Anytime you sin, it's because you thought that you knew better than God. Every time you sin, it's because you thought like, no, I know God said this, but. You know, God God has said, do not eat from this tree. But it is the lie that makes a person think they know better than God. And in the same way, it is the lie you believe that allows you to walk in sin. You have to learn to question what you think and what you feel. And you question it with scriptures. Does the scripture say what I am currently thinking? Is it, God's, is it God's way, the way I am now thinking, is this God's way of thought? He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's why my ways are higher than your ways. But what we can do is we can look into scriptures and see his thoughts. And even if we don't understand them, we can submit ourselves to them in faith, knowing that God is good. Here is another reason why we should never believe every one of our thoughts. I've given you a few now. First is because of where our thoughts come from, which is our flesh, the world, the demonic. Secondly is because every one of us suffer from a degree of insanity, because of sin, and thirdly, it's because we only see what we are looking for. This is true for me, this is true for you. You only only find what you're really looking for. You see, you diligently look for the upside of the person that you really love, while you diligently look for the downside of the person that you do not like. I mean, we have literally millions upon millions, tens and tens of millions of people in this nation who operate in that 100%. All you need to do is go to social media or the news. You already know that guy has not one good thing to say about the other guy. And he will weekly, nightly, on his TV show, only talk about... What he finds evil about the other person, right? Because he doesn't like him. Then you find the other guy who will, on a daily basis, speak on and on and on about how wonderful this person is, no matter how many downsides that person has, because of the the fact that they like him. You and I are the same. That's why parents oftentimes have a blind spot when it comes to their own children, because they can't see the downside in their child, because they love their child so much. They find what they're looking for all the time. They find the upsides. You know, when you talk about people getting married, <coughs> they always wonder, like, am I compatible with this person? And what they do when they look for compatibility is they're trying to say, well, you know what? This person likes fishing, and I like fishing, so we're compatible. This person likes sports, and I like sports, so we're compatible. That person loves. That person is uh, 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 politically this this way persuaded, and 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 I'm I'm the same way, and therefore we're compatible. And they look at all their. Samenesses—they look at all the things that they are the same in, and the things they, the similar likes and loves that they have, and they think they're compatible. They look—the one, the one guy, the guy looks at the girl and says, "I love this and this and this about her. I want to marry her." And the girl looks at the guy and she says, "I love this and this and this about him. Therefore, I want to marry him." And they think that they're compatible. But you see, when they get divorced, they don't get divorced over the fact that they loved all these things about each other. They get divorced over the fact that there's this one thing I can't handle. (laughs) There's this one thing about her, it's a downside I just cannot stand, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. So compatibility has nothing to do with all the strengths a person may have and all the similarities you may have with another person. It has to do with the one thing, the downside. Can you live with that person's downside? If so, you are compatible. If you cannot live with their downside, no matter how beautiful and how many upsides they have, if you cannot live with their downside, you are not compatible. And so, a big reason why we should never believe our own thoughts is because we only see what we are looking for based on how we feel about that person or that situation. You see, because of our biases, we all have blind spots and we might be looking at something and not seeing it for what it is. Something very interesting that I found this week is there's such a thing as the optic nerve. The optic nerve is in your eye and it is the nerve that carries messages from the retina to the brain. So it goes from the retina and it sends to the brain what the eye is looking at. But studies show that there are actually more messages coming from the brain forward than from the eye backward. That means your brain is telling you what you are seeing more than what your eye is telling your brain what it is seeing. Your past experiences, logged and filed in your mind and your memory, in your brain, has a staggering impact on how you see what you are looking at. Because the moment you look at something, your brain is telling you, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. This is what you are actually looking at. This is what you're actually seeing. (laughs) But it's not just your past experiences. It's also your biases. Your opinions and your current worldview that impacts how you view the thing you are looking at. This is why you can have five different eyewitnesses explaining the same incident in five different ways. There's a car accident, there's five witnesses, and each one of them have a different story. Why? Because they only saw what they were looking for, or they saw what their brain was telling them they were looking at, instead of what their retina was telling their brain was happening. I've discovered this truth about people (coughs) since I've been in the ministry a very long time, and I've been in youth ministry Uh, also a very long time, I was. And one thing about youth ministry is you always get the truth, don't you? (laughs) It's like, okay, why don't you tell me how you really feel? Like too much too much truth. Back off, teenager. (laughs) Don't tell me exactly how you feel about me. Can you please lie a little bit? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, So one thing I've, I've noticed about teenagers, or actually about people in general, human nature, is this. Watch this. People do not see life as it is. People see life as they are. You don't see things for what it is. You see things for who you are. Based on who you are is how you will see that thing. Jesus said it this way. He said, you judge as you are. You're guilty of the very thing you're judging. That's why you will find people who always are saying, uh, let me not use that example. People who are always accusing other people of something is usually because they themselves are guilty of it. You'll find people who are making laws oftentimes are the ones who don't live by those laws. Right? And uh, people who want to put other people in prison because of marijuana are the ones who smoke in it. Right? <laughs> people who are pointing racist, racist are usually the racist. It's there, always a y- person that is guilty of something is always trying to find everybody else guilty of the same There's some psychological thing that happens there, for one, is they feel better about their their own selves, right? right? When they can prove that everybody else is the same as them. But this is the point. The point is that the cynical person will see life from the perspective of his cynical mindset. Because he has a cynical mind, he is cynical about everything he sees. He doesn't see life as it is. He sees life as he is. The unrenewed mind will see life from a worldly perspective. Hey, party here. Hey, party that. Yeah, you can do that. Ah, laws are made to be broken. You know, like they, they live full pleasure. They live toward the flesh because of their renewed mind. So they don't see life as it is, short, a passing shadow. And you should, you should cry at, at, at a birth and you should rejoice at a funeral. They can't see those things because their minds are unrenewed. By the way, the Bible says to do that, right? Uh, you know, you need to weep at a birth and you need to rejoice at a death. But we do it the other way around. But the person with the unrenewed mind lives toward pleasure, lives toward false hopes, lives towards this world, lives toward the flesh, because he doesn't see life as it is, short. He sees life as he is, unrenewed. Then you get the person with a renewed mind. He will see life from a scriptural perspective and He will live life with an eternal goal, eternal rewards in heaven. I will stand before Him very soon. Life is short. This life is for His glory and not my pleasure. You see, how do people view life that way? It depends on who they are. And the mindset they already have. Folks, I can't tell you how important it is for you and I to have a renewed, disciplined, sanctified, scriptural mindset as we enter 2021. Because the undisciplined, unrenewed, worldly mindset is an accident looking for a place to happen. I don't care how wonderful 2021 is going to be. You will have a horrible year if your mind is undisciplined, unrenewed. So finally, for today, what I want to do, after I've built the case over the fact that do not believe every thought that you have. Do not buy into your feelings for heaven's sakes. That's the first. But finally, today, I want us to look at what it means to have a sober scriptural mindset about ourselves. Who are you? Whose are you? Why are you what, do you? what do you believe when you look at self? When you think of self? <clears throat> I want us to look at what it means to have that sober perspective of self, a mindset formed and fashioned by truth and not by self-image. Or deceptive self image. You see, every week I stumble across memes. I'm one for memes. I love memes. (laughs) I'm gonna have a library one day of memes. Because sometimes, I mean, I just love that kind of humor, how they are able to just put a truth out there very simply, you know? (laughs) And it's easy to share privately. And so, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> every week I stumble across these memes and posts and social media where somebody communicates to somebody else the idea that you're so wonderful. You're just really so wonderful. And you—you you, by the way, you are beautiful. You are special. You are valuable. You are worthy. You deserve better. And oftentimes they put the prefix or the, you know, the, uh, the adverb so in front of it. You are so lovely. You are so beautiful. You are so awesome. You are so special. And I know when I go to this, this uh, Starbucks on corner of Meacham and American uh, most of the time. And when we drive through that drive through <clears throat> you'll see if you go through it, the little ledge there has a sticker on it, a silver sticker. It says, you are beautiful. I'm like really? <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> Anyway, thank you. I love the feeling you just gave me. Ah, oh, I'm beautiful. And I was thinking, would they really mean it if Hitler had to drive through their drive through It's like, Zichael, I'm beautiful. Hey! <laughs> I'm valuable. I'm precious. I'm wonderful. I'm, I'm worthy. I deserve better. I mean, can you imagine just how uh, really life is insane if you think of it from that perspective? And so the question is, how do we as Christians construct the mindset of our self-image? Or how do you view self? What do you think of you when you think you? The truth is, no one enjoys being around a pessimistic grump. I know that. And when I give that example, people go like, yeah, you might be speaking the truth, Jacques, but I don't want to be around you. You don't make me feel beautiful. (laughs) Just hang in there, all right? You see, no one likes living with, with, with fear and discouragement. And, and all of us find it refreshing to spend time with optimists who are likable. Optimists who not only are likable to be around with, but make you feel like they like you. You like to be with people who like you. And th- there's enough misery, sorrow, sadness, and suffering all around us. I get that. But let me just quickly throw it in here. Ministers who know how to draw a crowd do this. They, they, this is common knowledge. If I can paint a God who's just absolutely sentimental and syrupy about you all the time, oh, would you, I love you always. Just no matter what, you just I love you and I accept you. And if. If they can get a God, if they can paint a God who is just so likable and who absolutely likes you, no matter what, well, who, want, who wouldn't want to be there? So it's a psychological gospel that people throw out there. For the It's a pragmatic gospel, right? Because they're trying to get the end goal is, is not necessarily scriptural, the Scripture's end goal. So, yeah, you know, there's so much misery and sorrow and sadness and suffering around us. We all like that. And it's certainly a whole lot more enjoyable to spend time with, poz- with positive people than with negative people. But The Apostle Paul told us uh, this in Philippians. He says, and I quote, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Oh, Paul, talk more to me. Tell me more. I want to know more. <laughs> you know, isn't it wonderful if somebody with that stature and that authority can come to you and says, Do not fear. Oh, Okay, I feel so much better. Do not be anxious. Okay, okay, I'll I'll not be anxious. It's going to be okay. Tell me more, Paul. Tell me more. And so here Paul is saying some good things. He says, do not be anxious. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. Wow. All right, I can go with that. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, in in other words, instead of being anxious, pray, with all gratitude and thankfulness to God. You see, anxiety is you practicing all, pos- all negative possibilities. Prayer is you thanking God for all future certainties. Ah, that worked out. Prayer is you <laughs> rehearsing your future anxieties, your future negative outcomes. Prayer is you thanking God that His will and his purposes will be established. So, Paul is telling you to do the opposite of anxiety, of being anxious. The opposite of anxiety is prayer, faithful prayer, or the prayer of faith. So, when you're filled with anxiety, know what? Know this you haven't prayed enough. So, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here, this is what will happen. And the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a promise. Thank you, God. I love hearing this. A little later in that same chapter, he writes, Quote, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put your mind on these wonderful things. These are very encouraging scriptures, but this is not, however, the same as the syrupy sentimentality that drips off of your Instagram feed on a daily basis, right? Right? The problem with all of these syrupy statements, you're beautiful, you're worthy, that are filled with warm and fuzzy sentimentality, is that it is not necessarily rooted in scriptural truth. It's just, it's just fluff. There's no truth. It's not rooted in truth, right? God's Word gives us the following descriptions in order to help us think properly, properly what we as humans are by nature. So, here's the goal, okay? And we're coming for a landing. God wants you to have a sober mind about who you are. That's where you have to start. In order to have a renewed mind, a mind, a Christian mind constructed by Scriptures, you have to start here having a sober mind about who you are. So let's look at what the Bible does, which is brilliant. It is genius how the Bible lays out who you are, because you'll see the outcome of the truth about you brings you to a very, very healthy and secure place. As opposed to Lies about you that you pick up at Starbucks' drive through window. Those that aren't rooted in truth brings you to a very unhealthy place, all right? So here we go. Watch this. God's Word gives us this following description about ourselves, our human nature. It says, there are none righteous, not one. None does good. Yeah, but he wrote this before I was born. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> nope. No one. Speaking of human race from beginning to end, Romans three ten and 12. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Isaiah 53, 6. The Bible says, The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. Isaiah 1, verse 5 and 6. The Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all else. And then it says this, It is despicably sick, or desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The Bible says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, so, right here in Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 3, it says, All of mankind, all of mankind by nature are children of wrath, and you're a part of that. And then the Bible says, You were at, uh, you were at that time uh, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Ephesians 2, 12. Without God, no hope. That's you. That's me. Wow! We don't seek God. We don't seek righteousness. We don't do good. There's nothing good in us. We're like sheep. We've gone astray. We're, our heads are sick. Our hearts are faint. From the head to our toes, there's nothing sound in us. We are bruised. We are sores. We are, our, our whole nature is raw, is a raw wound with pus coming out of it. We, our hearts are deceiving us. We're desperately sick. and We don't even understand ourselves. We are dead in our trespasses. In which we walked, we are by nature children of wrath. I mean, how much worse can we be? All right. That is true about me. That is true about you. Well, I don't feel that is true. Well, Okay, you got it. That is an objective truth, and it's easier to believe your feeling about yourself than what it is to believe a subjective truth from Scriptures. There are hundreds of similar verses that point to the sinful spiritual condition that our natures have as human beings. One can easily understand why a meme that reads you are beautiful is so much more popular than a meme that would read you are by nature a child of wrath. Oh, all right. Love 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 love. No. Nobody loves that second meme. Everybody just loves and thumbs up the f- Go and try it out. Okay, go to your Facebook you know, wall, and and throw a meme up saying, you are beautiful, and you deserve better. And watch, everybody's like, oh. And you see how those hearts just, you know, run across the screen. And then a couple of days later, just say, you by nature are a child of wrath. And then see what happens. You see, the first one feeds your flesh. Oh, I am beautiful. I I do deserve, I am worthy, I am valuable, I am precious, I, 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 you know, I am wonderful. I mean, what else can I say about me? It's just so wonderful. I love this feeling that feeds your flesh. But the second one, you are by nature a child of wrath, is an affront to your sinful pride, is an affront to your self-righteousness, it's an affront to who you really are. That being said, Scriptures gives us an astonishing description of how God views us who have been united to Him in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God, who is rich in mercy and love toward us, made us alive together in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.5. We are now the apple of His eye, Zechariah 2.8. We are now jewels in God's crown, Zechariah 9.16. Believers are sons and daughters of the Almighty King, Galatians 3.26. Believers are now the bride of the Lamb of God, Revelation 19.9. Believers are now His glorious inheritance, Ephesians 1.18. Believers, every one of us now are saints before God a chosen and holy nation, Ephesians, uh, uh, Philippians 1.1. Believers are now the excellent ones, Psalm 16.13. Believers are those of whom the world is not worthy. You are ambassadors. You are in here, but not from here. This is who you are. You're the apple of His eye, jewel in His crown. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Almighty. You are His glorious inheritance. He inherits you like you are His prize. You are a saint for heaven's sakes, uh, for earth's sakes. You're a saint. You're an excellent one. Think about it. This world is not worthy of you. See, in Scripture, there's a beautiful comparison of what we are by nature Compared to what we are by grace. Viewed only from the side of the fallen nature, if that's the only perspective you have of yourself, then you would end up being hopelessly pessimistic, fatalist perspective. Viewed only from the side of grace, which many people love to do, we would be naively optimistic but deceived at the same time. However, when you look at yourself through the biblical lens of God's law, you discover that you are are a worse sinner than you can ever imagine. When you look at yourself through the lens of Christ, the New Testament, grace, you realize that you are more loved than you ever hoped to be or deserved to be. So for us to look at ourselves through the perspective of the law and grace is the only possible way for us to get the real view, sober view of who we are in this life. There is so much more comfort in that sober and clearly defined affirmation than in any empty shell of manufactured positive thinking, positive thinking, positive thinking. Let's confess it more. Let's, con- let's say it again. Let's say it again. Say it five times. Say it ten times until you believe it. You see, that's pagan. But to to see yourself from Scriptures and say, I submit myself to the Scripture. I will now think this way about myself. I know that I was dead in my sins. I know that my heart is sick and evil, and my flesh tempts me all day. I'm enticed by this lust within my flesh. I know these things are true about me, and I am not, you know, I am radically corrupted. I'm I'm not as bad as I possibly could be, but you know what? I can always improve on my badness. (laughs) It's very easy for you and I. We are totally depraved and corrupted by sin. Every part of who we are, even though we're not saying that you're as bad as you possibly could be, but every part of who you are has been touched by sin. I have to know that that is who I am in order to be thankful for who God has now made me to be in Christ Jesus. I'm a jewel in His crown. I am an excellent one, says He. I am His bride, His chosen one. I am His inheritance, but He doesn't call me an inheritance. He calls me a glorious inheritance. I don't deserve any of who I am today. I deserve every bit of the judgment that my old nature has brought me. But I get none of it. I get everything that He has given me. And that is what a covenant is. He gets all of my bad. I get all of His good. Now what does this do to me when I see myself for who I am scripturally? It humbles me because I know who I am. And it makes me so grateful because of who He has now made me to be in spite of who I was. And there God brings you to the place of humility and gratitude. Taking none of the credit and giving Him all of the glory for who He has made you to be. His prized possession. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the Word this morning? Amen. We have to allow the Word of God to be that double-edged sword that cuts both ways and causes The lies on both sides to be sliced away so that we can see the truth of who we are. That's why the law is there, to show you who you really are and your great need of Him. And that's why the New Testament's there, the good news, to give you the good news in spite of who you are, in spite of what you deserve. I really believe that this series is going to bring us to a great level of sobriety, a great way of thinking about not just life, but about us and about God and how we relate and, of course, the life that we live in. So make sure to stay tuned to this whole entire series because I I want God to put our roots down deep into the knowledge of what He says we ought to do with our thoughts and our minds so that 2021 is going to be a year of peace, faithfulness, and fruitfulness, no matter what the circumstances. Amen. We have hope. Amen. Let me pray for you, Father, I just thank you.